welcome to the Joplin Toadcast brought to you by JoplinToad.com. This episode is part two of our conversation with Jerron Scott and Matthew McBirth talking through what the current Black Lives Matter conversation is actually about. Let's continue to listen together to better understand how we can love our neighbors of color well. Here we go. All right, let's let's jump into our next one. You take the next one, John. So this one starts off um, by talking about police. Uh, cops are mostly good. We keep attacking them for the actions of a few bad eggs. I support the police. Don't their lives matter? Absolutely. I'd say that front and center, absolutely. Back to what Matt was saying, the phrase black lives matter does not mean police lives don't. I'd, the media might have made it seem that way. There are people who might make it seem that way, but the phrase black lives matter oh, does not mean police don't. It's another don't. Um, politicized yeah. moment where you're like, that that shouldn't be political. Yeah. <laughs> that shouldn't be, yeah. you shouldn't have to take a, a political side to say police lives matter or black lives matter. Like, I, that's I would personally say, and I might be jumping the gun on what something Matthew might want to say, but I would say, yes, police lives matter. Yes. We need the police force, a community without a police force. <laughs> so you're saying that's a bad idea. Listen, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I grew up in the hood yeah. where the police messed with us. Not a single one of us wanted the police gone. You know, I mean, a mother in Chicago who lost her son last week and has a 12-year-old son walking the streets doesn't want the police gone. So your response is never get rid of the police. Not in the slightest <laughs> Or bit. take the, the power away from the police. Your response is, hey, police, can we do this better? What can we do to do things better? I mean, that's all. That's what I'd say. That's it's. No, we need to address this. Um, hold our police force. They're good. We need them to the standard that they can live up to. I mean, I'm 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 going to want our police force to 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 live at a standard of excellence. I'd want any human to live at a standard of excellence, and that means let's look at the force. Let's look at the system. Yes, let's purge the bad apples. Even at the same time, we've got to figure out how to how to, how to fix the system. Nothing's isolated. That's, that's isolation is a myth. Uh, things happen within systems. So I heard recently of a police force, I won't mention, um, that I have a friend who's a civilian who got into a Facebook conversation with the police that he knew and went to high school with in response to George Floyd. Uh, my friend had posted something about George Floyd. His friend, who's a cop, posted like the eye roll emoji under the under the Facebook post. My friend hits this guy up and he says, hey man, look, if I heard that everyone in my particular workforce was racist because of one of them, I'd be pretty upset. So I want to hear you out. Wow. And what then, a great res and rare response. Oh, phenomenal response. <laughs> this police starts talking to my friend. And as the conversation progresses, this cop has said things like, I've almost pulled the trigger at least nine times and they've all been, been black people goes a little bit further and starts throwing out statements like black people just don't listen. That's why they're in positions like this. If they would just listen this and that and the whatnot, if he was okay with saying that in a Facebook message to my friend, 
that conversation happened at the station. That conversation has been happening at the station. So my thing is, what can we do to eliminate that conversation? Because then you're not producing these cops who go out and automatically they have this thought, oh, it's a black man. He's probably not going to listen. Let me get ready to shoot him. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, police lives matter. Yes. Well, How can we be better to, you know, to to play devil's advocate a little bit? Because I know a lot of people are thinking things like that yeah. legitimately, like um, because then against the blame goes so much to the victim so much of the time. And sometimes I, I get it a little bit, you know, where they say, well, it looked like he was reaching for a gun or he wasn't listening to the authority figure or whatever it is. And, you know, kind of isolating the incident outside of the systemic issues. Um, and like, how, how do you respond to those things? So let me, let me give a, we, we've mentioned Michael Brown um, a few times. So Michael Brown was, I think he had just turned 18, had been 18 for long, but he was pretty much a minor, but had just become an adult um, who was killed by a police officer. He was unarmed, killed by a police officer who was actually responding to a call. Um, it wasn't just out of the blue. Um, and by the end of the, the situation, Mike Brown had been shot and killed by this police officer. And this was the, the man's um, body who laid in the street for a day and nothing happened to it. This is what started this is what really pushed forward the BLM movement. Um, it, it was Mike Brown's situation, him and Trayvon Martin. Um, here's the here's the thing, um, th- and this also took place in St. Louis. This is I mean close to Joplin, so yeah, this, is, this, the, is, this is this is close to us. And, yeah, the Ferguson yeah. Uh, neighborhood. So here here here's what I want to say. We look at that and we say, well, Mike Brown wasn't a good kid. Right. He was he was caught on tape, um, I believe, stealing from a gas station and um, he was known as an aggressive person. Well, I've seen the same thing with with George Floyd. Like, well, the sure. guy had a criminal record. Sure. You know, yeah. And I've yeah. seen that tossed out. Of, Which we, a we, we of love to bring that stuff up whenever someone dies. It's like that makes sense. Um, anyway. <laughs> So this is possibly why this police officer was responding is that this person at this convenience store called the police. So that's how this guy comes. And we don't know actually what took place. There are different perspectives and different stories. Some say Mike Brown was um, running up on the police officer and the police officer shot and killed him because he was not stopping. Even though the police officer told him to stop. Some say Mike Brown had his hands up and he actually wasn't doing a thing. And the police officer killed him. Some I, I've heard stories. that too. Yeah, yeah. The where I because I I just had a conversation the other day where somebody said everybody said his hands were up, and that even became kind of a, an anthem. For oh, the hands crowds. up, don't shoot. Yeah, and then yeah. but the accounts say no, his hands were not up. He was yeah. actually basically charging the officer. And some mix so it's it. like what what some do say, you do with some that? say his hands are up, and he was charging at the same time. So here, so we all look at that and we say, well, we don't know what took place. So we can't say this is racism. Like the police officer had to do what he had to do. Here's the thing. The relationship between Florissant and their police officers, their their police force was so bad that there was so much uh, distrust between them. Okay. Like this has been researched on. They literally, the police officers would 
charge African Americans who were impoverished usually with petty fines, I mean, petty things. When I mean by petty, I mean literally you were hanging out in a park and a police officer saw you there and you were you were like asleep or something like that. You just fallen asleep because you just got done work and they charged you with being in a park after curfew and it was six o'clock at night. And they charged you a $100 fine for doing that. You have all of these type, and here's the thing, they found out the reason why that was happening was that the city put that upon the police force and so that they could pay for, I don't know how that, how that would work out. M- Malcolm Gladwell talks about this in his podcast. So if you want to figure out where it's at, it's in revisionist history podcast, um, where he did the research on this. So you have this in the background. Now Mike Brown gets shot and killed. Those people don't trust their police officers. They don't know, they don't even know them because all the only time that they have come in contact with them is for petty stuff, such as I'm sleeping in the park after work and you discharge me of being past curfew, where there was no curfew even yeah. on. Well, so, this stuff it, it happens. It happens everywhere. I mean, even even here, um, I think it was it was Melody Keene when we interviewed her, was talking about her son getting pulled over for driving too long on the left lane downtown, which if you know, if you know, was that you? Oh, it was you that said that. Okay. Melody's son also, Melody also talked about her son. She had a different story about her son. Okay. Yeah. Same kind of thing. But but similar, yeah, circumstances. Yeah. Where, and I heard that and I was like, what? You know, because anybody that knows downtown Joplin's like, that's not a thing. You know, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, why would you want to drive on the right side when there's all those cars? You know, people are trying to get in the. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I try to not get in the right lane because people are trying to get into their cars on the street. But we have to think bigger than just isolated events. They're not isolated. There, there is a broken relationship that's there. That's what I was going to say. It's like, how can we see this as as a relational? How can we have a relational Context. framework? Yeah, put it in the context we of see, this is a relationship. And, it, and it's true, like like that particular situation. I, much to my own shame, I've never researched that. I didn't know those things because what do I see? I see the one thing posted on Facebook about it, you know, or the one conversation I have with someone who also doesn't know the full context. And so I go, oh, he didn't have his hands up, you know, like, well, geez, he is partially play. Well, gee, why did everybody get so mad? You know, and cause I don't know the context. Yeah. And I, I mean, to be fair, we'll say it's both sides. I mean, it's a both sides thing. I was taught at a very young age to not trust the cops. I at an extremely young age to not trust the cops. I, there are stories of me, my siblings, anybody, I mean, being four, five years old, one of us, I mean, an adult will joke and say the cops are coming and we're in tears. So, I mean, I mean, because we're taught, oh no, bad people. So it's like, what can we do on both sides of this relationship to, to restore dignity? Sure, obviously and that's not fair either. No. <laughs> and that's why I love, I want to give a shout out to, um, chief, uh, Crawford. Is this not his last name? Uh, Sloan Crawford, uh, our, our police chief of Joplin. I think that's what he he is trying. He he he's he looked up statistics of um, people saying that they were treated wrongly because of the color of their skin by a police officer, and I, he has like the numbers for how many times that's happened. And following up on it, and it actually ended up not being that the case. Um, but he recognizes still though there is some brokenness between 
uh, the black community, and I don't want to speak for the Hispanic community of Joplin, but between the black community and the police force. And he recognizes that even with all those stats, he recognizes that and says, we have to still do something about this. We have to mend this relationship. Well, that's awesome. And for, for people that are, that are ticked off for the cops, like look at him, look at what he's actually doing. Look at how he's listening. Um, and he is listening. Like I've had conversations, several people where they said he sat in on this conversation or that conversation. And like, that, that's gotta be tough it's a to great do. Example. You know? It's a, it's such a great example that I wish every police force would, would follow. Um, and it needs to happen on both sides. It can't just be them. Like, yes, African-American communities have to step up and, and take a chance and actually say, well, maybe I'm wrong with having this prejudice towards police officers because mm-hmm. you are <laughs> wrong. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. Well, at least recognize like they're not all going to do this. They're not all going to be this way, you know? Um, and yeah, and I, I do want to finish with that with saying, I highly respect police officers. Same thing, Jaron, with me growing up. My, my brother, my older brother had really bad experiences with police officers. So that was my introduction to police officers was his experience, like literally being pulled over and the police officers knowing who he was by name. Now, maybe that's because my brother did some things he shouldn't have done. But, <laughs> but, but, but hear this. They told him, tell us where this person's at. And if you don't, we're going to plant something on you. That's his experience. And I'm hearing this and it doesn't matter that I've never had that experience. My older brother just had this experience. So whenever I see a police officer that comes to mind, am I about to be pulled? I saw, I was on my way here to, uh, to do this podcast and I saw a police officer do a big U-turn. He wasn't even coming towards me. He was actually turning and going the other way, but it freaked me out. And all he was doing though was because he, he was, that was the limit that he, um, patrols. He doesn't go past. Well, a certain I spot. still have an emotional, yeah. um, a mental and emotional response yeah. every time I see I've one. Been yeah, every to, time. yeah, I've been trying to empathize and understand because, I mean, I have a little bit of that because I speed too much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's all on me. Sure, sure. Uh, but like, I don't, I don't understand. I don't have that emotional response because I've been pulled over wrong. Like, anytime I've been pulled over, like. I deserve to be pulled over (laughs) for the most part. But like, I don't, I don't understand that emotional response that you guys have because you are recognizing and acknowledging, yes, there are good cops, but this is a very real possibility. This is something that I think a lot of white people are really struggling to understand right now. Um, from, from conversations I've had and, and I think they want proof, you know, they want proof that like black people are getting pulled over more often universally, um, just as a statistic. Um, yes, probably, you know, it, it could happen in our area too. They are being treated differently. Um, I just had a conversation with someone yesterday that is talking about, uh, Casey med students that are coming into town and only been here two years and they've got stories of how they've been treated just in those two years by police and by others that is not normal, you know? Um, and so, but I think white people have trouble believing that, you know, that we don't, who wants to think that that's true? Like it sucks, you know? And so even having like, it's like, where can you go to find out more about that and to read those statistics? And, and I think so much of it is just 
honestly, it's listening to people's stories. You know, it's why we did those those interviews last week because when six different people talk about their experiences with yeah. police, it's like, all right, something's there. You know, Matt, you can give specific place resources, but I'd I mean I'd say the money maker is always a one human being. Uh, I mean, stats don't change. I read that stats don't change people's stories do. Uh, I mean, you can hear a stat and not care. You hear a story and you're moved. That's just how humans are wired. So I'd say build a relationship with someone and hear their stories. Then when you see those stats, you see you see a face, you have a story behind those stats. And that's when you it actually grips you. It's real. I mean... Yeah, I, uh, I agree with that. I actually don't know what the stats will say. So I want to say that um, it could be like this is again, we have to think we have to think about human beings and not turn them into numbers. OK, when I get pulled over and I was not speeding, like when I when I say like I have been pull, pulled over for speeding like twice. Like I'll, I'll call myself out. I was going 60 and a 45, right? I was going, I was going, yeah, I was going, I was going 80 and a 60, right? Trying to get home from the airport in Arkansas to get the job in. Cause I just got done with a week of school. I wanted to see my family, right? That's happened. I do cruise control now, wherever I go. So when I'm coming down, well, I literally live right now, three minutes from, from my work on, from, on main street, North main street. So it's a 45 mile per hour for three minutes. I put cruise control on period because I don't want to be pulled over for that. Um, and whenever I still get pulled over, I have to question why am I being pulled over right now? Is this because of my race? Is this because of my skin? Is this because of my hair? Whatever it is. Right. Um, and I think more often than not people who are darker skinned that runs through their mind. Um, and I think that's, that's the real issue is that you guys do have to question it yeah. <laughs> because w all we have to question is, was I speeding or not? <laughs> like, and so, so it's, that's it, hard for, for us white people to wrap our minds around, <laughs> you know, cause we haven't. And I, I've seen, I have seen, you know, what I feel like is, is police corruption in that, um, you know, I've been in small towns where they really are just trying to get money for tickets and they will pull you over for anything and give you a ticket for anything. But that's a whole other, you know, I, 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 want, I do want to give one resource you okay. asked for like places that you can find it. It's a book. So sorry. <laughs> um, no, do you have like any gifs or anything? Like if you could give a good meme resource, like directory, um, I don't have any of that. You have to read more than 140 characters. Um, so, uh, I already mentioned Malcolm Gladwell before. I'm going to mention him again. Um, cause this is something that he's actually kind of paid a little bit more attention to because of just the season that we're in. He has a book called talking to strangers and it's way bigger than just this topic. It's, I mean, it's vast, but he talks about, um, how policing is done in the United States, like the methodology of policing. And he kind of gives some of the history of it, of how they found out how to best police areas that have high crime and that it actually lowered the crime rates. And his big thing is, is that, what instead of though just applying that that form of policing to areas of high crime, 
police forces around the country took that method and applied it everywhere. It didn't matter if it was a high crime community or spot, they just did it everywhere. So they were doing the same methodology in a different context. And that leads to, oh, if someone has a different license plate um, on their car than where they're at in that state. So for example, for a while, I'm, I'm from originally from Indiana, I rolled around Joplin with an Indiana license plate. His, his proposal was, that is something that police officers would have paid attention to, that you had a different license, even if you weren't doing anything wrong. The fact that you have a different license plate on makes them have to wonder what's going on here. Are you are you smuggling drugs? Like, are you coming through the state to get someplace else? And so I just recommended that. Um, honestly, it's the last chapter, so I'm helping you out there. So you can go to the last <laughs> chapter of the book, maybe, okay. maybe the last two chapters of the book, and he gives he gives some statistics, but also gives the history of policing. I forgot exactly when he starts, but that would be a good book. To, and it has stories. Like, that's the thing. It has stats and stories. And so you can just see how that actually plays out and how it ends to harm. Like, San, this happened to a lady named Sandra Bland. Like, she died in Texas because she had uh, – she had different license plates on her car because she would just got done. Uh, she just got hired at a university there and she was pulling out of the university and was being tailed by a police officer, like speeding up on her. So she thought, Hey, he needs to get up. He's trying to get past me. So she pulls over and slows down a little bit so he can get past her. Well, he immediately slows down and pulls her over for that reason. Deals with a lot of arguments of why he was pulling her over Long story short, arrests her. Three days later, she's found dead in her cell hanging. It's stuff like that where we can say, well, maybe that police officer wasn't racist, but he was doing things. And he was applying a methodology of policing that ended up leading to the death of this lady who was doing nothing wrong. So hmm. I just say, I, like, yeah, that, I mean, just that's as always, it's so much more complex so than complex. we want to be. Because like the license plates, I didn't know that. I never yeah. would have thought of that. You know, there might be instances where we're saying they're being racist and pulling people over. It's like, no, you have out of town plates. Exactly. Know? And I could I could see why they would. Or you're you being know. really nervous right now. You're, you're like, you just got pulled over and you're acting very nervous. Like, that's another thing. Are you hiding something? Is that why you're nervous? No, I'm just nervous because my brother told me this was his experience. Yeah. So it's stuff like that. It's so much more complex. And we've been talking a lot about the negative. But again, I, I don't want us to forget we do not think police officers are all bad. We don't think that blue lives don't matter. Like, we believe blue lives matter and that they put their lives on the line every day when they leave their house and their families recognize that. And so we need to recognize that as well and stop. And this is again, going to the media when you constantly are showing police officers killing um, black people or whatever, you get a, a prejudice in your mind, a stereotype that police officers are just trigger happy. That the only reason they got that job or they, they wanted that job is so they could shoot people. Right. And like, that's not true. So it's, yeah, again, the, we, we love police officers and so much appreciate them. We do not want to abolish police officers, uh, the police <laughs> well, force. I think that's so good for people to hear because then again, things spiral out of control so quickly, especially on social media. When they see one argument, people immediately take it all the way to the end of where it could go. And they're saying, you know, you're saying, hey, there's some brutality and some systemic issues with police in America and people say, Oh, you want to get rid of police. Yeah. You know? yeah. And <laughs> so some people do hear that. You know, yeah. Some sure. people do want to get rid of police. And that's, and that's what we have to understand is that like, I, I try my best not to say the black community 
the Hispanic community. And sometimes I catch myself doing it. And when other people do it, I recognize that they're not saying everyone who's Hispanic thinks the same way. But even our language kind of ascribes that onto people. There are some African-Americans who do want the police to be defunded or abolished. There are some who are like, no, I'm a police officer and I'm black. Like, I don't want this. So we just have to understand it's so much more than just an either or type of way of thinking. It's so much more complex. So anyway, we got to go to the next question. <laughs> what, what number are we on? We're on five. Wow. Right? <laughs> so this is actually one that we're, we spent a lot of time talking about beforehand. Yeah, um, if, we, if you want to skim through one, because you feel like we've already answered it pretty there, well. I think previously. there's actually some that we have kind of gotten at. Yeah, because yeah, so. I mean, all of this just flows yeah, and ties in together, you know. This one, this one's big though for me, and, and I think for Jerron, just because of our love for rap music. But uh, this is the, the argument or the question is, what about um, African Americans generating slash perpetuating violence in their own in their own culture, specifically rap music that glorifies drugs, gang activity, violence, and belittling belittling of women, et cetera, et cetera. So. Um, I'm going to try to be very brief with it, and then we'll see what comes from this. <laughs> I've been saying that a lot, and I haven't been brief. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, is there rap music that does those things that was just said there, that glorifies those things? Yes. Again, we can't be so isolated in our thinking, right? We have to understand that rap music is part of something bigger. It's part of the music industry, right? Now... What's an, an artist, a rap artist is part of something bigger than himself. He's part of a record label. So predominantly, um, the rap game is filled with African-Americans, right? We listened to Eminem a little bit before. He is probably the greatest white rapper that there ever will be. And he would never, there would probably never be another white rapper to have as much credibility <laughs> as Eminem. So he is definitely an anomaly. Most rappers are black <laughs> who make it in the game. But did you know that most record labels, the CEOs, are white? Also, did you know that every rapper who has made it, who has become very popular nationally or if you want to get globally, they recognize in order to do that, they have to be able to sell their music to white people. Most people are, are the most buyers of the popular um, black artists, rap artists, are white people. And the people who publish their music are white people. So my big thing on this is, yes, rap artists may be doing, the, may be glorifying those things, but they're only being very, I don't know, not tech savvy, that's not the word I'm looking for, but they're being, being very smart in how to make some money because they recognize that their audience is white and their publishers are white and this is what sells in this country. And so that's why they do that. And then my last thing is this. If you don't listen to rap music on the regular, you cannot talk bad about it because there is a diversity of rap music out there. The, I think the two greatest rap artists right now um, would be J. Cole and Kendrick Lamar. Their last couple and Jay-Z, but Jay-Z's kind of moving on, Jerron. So he's on the bigger and better things now, man. He, he's, he's doing his own stuff. He's uh, um, forcing the NFL to address social yes, issues. Yeah, he's, 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 thinking, oh, he's thinking bigger than just music. Um, and I think Kendrick and J. Cole are getting there too. But anyway, 
Kendrick Lamar and J. Cole, their last, their latest albums, I think going two or three back, I think Kendrick, honestly, since his beginning, they don't glorify gang culture or drug activity, or you might hear every now and then some sexism come through their music. And I think that's honestly just because of the culture that they grew up in. That's just how it was. And again, we're talking about intentions. I don't think their intent is to belittle women, actually, whenever they do that. I think it's just because that's what they grew up in. So I say all that to say we talk bad about rap. People talk bad about rap music, and they actually don't even know what rap music is. Like, the beginning of rap actually was very much socially like justice oriented. Like it was to talk about the problems going on in the Af- African-American community, specifically those who are in poverty. And that's what they rapped about. And slowly as it became more popular and began to sell more, they realized, you know what sells more? It's drugs, sex, and money. Whenever we talk about these things and that's how you get massive. And that's how you get, and I'm not, I'm not even, even rap artists can talk about those things and then also talk about justice, right? So Lil Wayne is a very popular person who has done this. He can talk about justice and at the same time in another song on the same album, he can talk about sex, drugs, and money. Um, he's become very big because he does talk about those things and, that, and that's what sells. So it's more than just black culture or the rap game. It is the United States as a whole. That's, this is what sells in our country. You go on a Netflix, you know what sells well or what, what people watch a lot on Netflix is stuff that has sex in it, that has drugs in it, and it has money in it, right? That's what sells. It's not just black culture. So anyway. Yeah, I'd say really quick. Also, I think, I mean, I'd say proximity is like important for this conversation. Bigger than rap. Matt said, listen to rap more. I'd say even when someone says, well, what about black on black crime? Y'all kill each other. So why is this mm, an issue? And that, I'm glad you brought that up. I, boy, I hear that a lot. I mean, black people care about black people killing black people. Mm-hmm. You show me a black community where black people are killing black people, and I'll find you an organization that is telling black people 365 days a year to stop killing black people. <laughs> they talk about like, it. Often. They talk about it. Yeah. Often. My, my grandmother, yeah. when I lived with my grandmother, uh, she was a part of a task force in my hometown to stop black people wow. from killing black people. Well, so, I, mean, I think it, the, the overarching thought there um, is it, it, it's just this myth that like, well, black people are more violent. You know, that's why there's more. That's that's why the police are so much stronger toward them. Like there's just more violence in the black community. And so. History there, there, was there's his, an argument for you. What do you his, do with that? History would say otherwise. <laughs> like I, I said earlier, we as a country are. I hate using the word DNA because I don't want to say this is something that we can never get rid of. I'd say it. <laughs> and you can well, adapt. Also, you can also When you just talk about humans, you can say that. Yeah. You know, I mean, anything like. Read the Bible. Like, if you good are, God, there's a lot of violence yeah, in there. If you <laughs> have anger towards someone, we recognize that anger, if it is not checked, will go beyond just thinking and it will turn into some sort of violence. Even if you don't have anger for them, even if you do think that they are lesser than you, then you justify your violence towards them. It's no longer really 
a, a human attacking a human. It's a human attacking a subhuman or an animal. Like this is like, this is literally part of our global history. Like this is how people thought. So, but when it comes to the United States, I just completely disagree that black people are more violent or more inclined to get in trouble with, like they have this desire to get in trouble with the police officers and stuff like that. Like, no, like no one wants to get in trouble with the police force unless like they literally have something wrong with their mind. Like no one goes out to do that. Okay. And if they do talk about it, it's because it's literally happening in their community. They're not trying to glorify it. They're just talking about what they're seeing on the street. Right. So I just, so my, my answer to that would be again, we came to this country or we came to this new land. We inflicted violence upon the natives. When we were getting tired of England, we inflicted violence upon England and said, stop messing with us. We threw stuff into a lake or whatever, right? Boston tea party and all that jazz, right? When we got mad that Japan attacked us, what do we do? We made scientists make a nuclear bomb and we dropped it on them, right? Like this is just how we do things. And I, I am, I live in a military, I was born into a military family. I love the military. Our budget shows what we're willing to do. I mean, just gonna throw, I mean, that's why I'd say, no, this isn't our DNA. Yeah. This is just yeah. what we, and I mean, to black people are more, vi- most of everyone I grew up with as children, we were not allowed to play with toy guns because black people kill black people in our neighborhood. So what's our parents' response to that to try to stop it? You're not even, gun, squirt guns aren't allowed in this family because we don't want you going. So, I mean, just that's, yeah, it's crap. It's, yeah, it's yeah, crap. I mean, honestly. And I, saying it, like, I, of course, it's I know crap. that's stupid, but I, but I hear it a lot, you know. And, and then again, I think from a genuine place of people being confused, again, probably we, Largely because of the media and, and this all is, of that, This became a podcast know. that we are destroying media right now, but it's so true. <laughs> but like, I think then again, it's something we all universally can agree. Like, dude, the, the media is not always to be trusted, you know? They're not on our side. Like, I hate to, and I'm not trying to like, I love news anchors. Like, and I'm not, and please don't hear me say anything bad about local news. I'm not saying anything bad yeah. about local news when it comes no, to honestly, like news. when I see, you know, the Globe or local TV stations, like it generally seems pretty balanced yeah. and fair to yeah, me I think compared so. to our national news sources. We make a lot of money, right? <laughs> um, so I do want to say this that the thought that African Americans are more violent stems from a, a, a racial prejudice. Like, like that is a form of racial prejudice. Like you are taking your experiences, either like you've, it's happened to you or you have seen it uh, of a few black people being violent. And then you are taking that experience and you are ascribing it upon well, all African-Americans. It's a, it's a cluelessness. And I, and I yeah. get this having not been exposed much to yeah. black people growing up because we just don't have that many here. Yeah of what is my experience watching black culture? It's media, looking at rap music, seeing the kind of people in the rap music sure. videos, sure. carrying their guns with their chains. Totally. And, their, you know, and Denzel Washington and, swinging a gun around in John Q. <laughs> yeah. and my favorite their, actor, by the way. With their pants around their <laughs> ankles. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, and so like you're seeing all of these very over the top extremist um, depictions and that's, you know, sometime for some people, that's kind of all they're seeing. Totally. So I hear that 
And my response is, instead of talking about a different community, quote unquote, we we should all be part of the same community, but instead of talking about the black community or black communities, how about you talk to your own children who are buying the music, okay, that talks about that, okay? If How about you go to the people who are funding that to take place? They make that, they make those lyrics because they know it's going to sell. So stop saying, oh, well, the black community is doing this. How about you say, well, man, white people, we should stop like putting money towards that. We need, and so it needs to be a both and. Again, it needs to be a both and. It can't just be, well, it's black rap artists' fault. It's like, no, it's their fans too. And J. Cole calls that out in 1985. Was, that's <laughs> what I've been thinking about this whole time is that one line where he's like, they want to be black and they think this music is what it feels like. Yeah. And J. Cole's <laughs> talking about another rap artist in that moment. So he's doing this foolish stuff. Yeah. So that's, that's how I want to say it. Even rap artists recognize what's going on. Like, I mean, I learned that history about the about uh, record labels being uh, the CEOs being predominantly white. Uh, I think being all white, besides maybe a few like Jay Z or people like that, um, and the fans from rap artists who re- who recognize, you know what? I'm a, I'm actually never gonna be able to be as big as other people because I, I'm just not willing to rap about that type of stuff. And so they recognize. I'm not going to be able to make this a full-time career because I'm not willing to rap about that. And therefore people aren't going to buy my music. So it's a both and legitimately that's news to me. Like I hadn't really thought about, of that, you know, like they're not singing about these things cause they're really passionate about, you know, their gangs and their drugs. <laughs> Singing about it because that's what most sells. rap artists don't even do that stuff anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like they don't, yeah. they don't live that life. Huh. Like, this is what this is what other rap artists get on to rap artists about is that you glorify gang culture and you're no you're no longer part of that gang culture. You don't live in the hood. You're in the suburbs in your mansion. <laughs> like like it's it's that type of stuff where it's like it is it, there's hypocrisy, but there's an understanding of how to make money, and that's what they do. That's, they're being that's universal exactly it's <laughs> universal and they're being good capitalists and i'm not and, I, and i'm not saying that to call out capitalism i'm just saying that's how we run our society and that's and they, they recognize that so yeah yeah you gonna take the next one jaron um where do you want to go that's a good question let's uh i think we've called out the the media yeah. enough yeah that's what i said let's skip that Leave one them alone for a little while I'm going to go home and be pissed about I did want to say really quick, just as, a, as an aside on media, and, and I was talking about how there are, there's there's charts out there where you can actually see, for, for people that care about the political leaning stuff, where you can see the political leaning and bias of different news sources, it will chart it visually so you can see, oh, here's where this is and here's where that is. Um, based on that chart, I started watching more like PBS NewsHour. Um, it is the most boring news source you'll find. <laughs> And the reason is because it's not sensationalizing everything and it's not really flashy. But what I've come to find is like, oh, I feel like I'm actually getting news. They're telling <laughs> like, you what you need to know and how you need to know it. Yeah, like it's it's real new and it's not as, you know, there's not like TV screens everywhere and super flat. You know, like it's just news, <laughs> which is what we need to get back to, you know. And so and that's just one example. You know, there's other things like or sometimes I'll listen to BBC because it's like, you know what? They're in our country. So there's just uh, they're not they're not here. There's so there's automatically not as much sure. bias happening, sure. you know, that's yeah. a good point. I'm, uh, let's put seven and eight together. Let's put those two together. So I'll read the two questions. Um, 
We got racism, racism out of our system in our area. Sure, there are still extremists here and there, but we've made things right. Slavery's gone. Segregation is gone. Black folks have just have a good enough chance as anybody. Uh, why are we still acting like this is such a big deal? And the next question is, everybody has a chance to build their lives from the ground up in America. I or insert family member person I know grew up poor, probably, and we overcame our adversity. What about what about the black people that are using this movement to rationalize laziness, handouts and whining? Um all right. I, I, there's some harsh terminology there, you know, that obviously not everybody would be using yeah. when they bring that up. But a lot of people are. And I yeah. think even when people aren't using words that harsh, they're kind of thinking it if they have the question. Yeah. Here's the I'll give a big framework. And Matt, Matthew, you break this down phenomenally. I've heard you break this down phenomenally. So you can do that after. So this <laughs> I mean, big framework, I'd say one flat out quick answer. Um, Dr. King's death didn't kill racism. It, they didn't die together. So we're going to say that. Um, Wait, what? Yeah, surprise. Um, a few laws being changed didn't absolutely reverse everything. I think a lot of people mix up um, when all of the laws changed. They thought that was it. And that there's there's kind of a, a gap there where people don't recognize the racism that goes well beyond just, just the straight up laws. Yeah, I'd say that. And then the third thing I'd say is that there are there are whole structures that were set up throughout our history that have historically put. I mean, I'll make this bigger women. African-Americans, minorities at a massive disadvantage that Dr. King's death and changing a law didn't actually didn't address fully. It stopped it from getting worse in a sense, but it definitely didn't reverse or fix the problem, if that makes sense. That's a really good so, way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. That's I love that man. That you, you, I was like, I don't know what, that, what I'm supposed to say to this, but I think I got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the, that yeah. the, um, I mentioned it briefly earlier when I, I thought you had said Ibermax and you said Malcolm X, so that was awkward. But <laughs> uh, but the, the Ibermax book, Stamped from the Beginning, which talks through, um, and, and I got to admit and warn people, it's real long. <laughs> I'm probably a third of the way through it, but it's really long because it's like, here's the entire history of racism in America from the 1600s to now. And it's like, Oh, this is going to take a while. But, but when you start, when you go all the way back and then, and I'm sure that there are much quicker reads that walk through these things. Um, but when you go all the way back to the very beginning, the birth of this nation, and then you go through centuries and hear how these systems were built, like they were very much built and the beginning on slavery um, and in ways that I never realized, like, you, you know, it's, it was there, but you don't realize how much we were, it was literally built on it. And then once slavery went away, how much those structures still stayed in place and how much they were still geared around this people is better than that people. And people just found new ways. Yeah. Yes, and how that is still there. Like we're still a relatively new nation. We haven't gotten rid of that. Yeah, I want to give some. 
I want to give a frame, okay, how, how we can understand this of when people say, uh, well, uh, racism is done with and, and how we need to understand that's actually not true. So I want to give a, a new framework, a new paradigm that we need to understand this through, right? So when slavery was abolished, sharecropping took its place, okay? When we mean sharecropping is African-Americans who were originally already working on the land of, of someone else still remained on that land and got paid pennies to do so. Well, yeah, and the country, I mean, basically lied to them in some ways. So they're like, everybody gets 40 acres, and then it's like that. It never happened, right? And they and, the, and actually the government tried to do something. They, they, they tried to do um, the Freeman's uh, Bureau and um, didn't work out because people stopped caring about it as much. Um, the government just couldn't figure out how to fix the problem. So after um, sharecropping, was Jim Crow, right? So Jim Crow codes and laws, which is just legal se- se- segregation, sorry, segregation of saying, um, what's, what's the common uh, court ruling? Um, oh, segregation and equal, right? Um, I can't get the- Separate but Separate but equal, there it is, separate but equal. That's just classic Jim Crow. Um, and then Jim Crow was abolished, right? This is like we say 1964, 1965, those rulings uh, or the, those um, policies coming forward got rid of Jim Crow. So, But after that, we actually saw redlining came, came forward, right? And for those who don't know who red, or what redlining is, is that um, banks and um, home uh, loan lenders and uh, real estate agencies literally took a map of the community and they mapped, they, they color coded where they wanted the African Americans to live and where they wanted the white people to live. And so they, the red lining, I believe was those who they wanted, they wanted blacks to be within the red lines. And so this became literally how they operated. And if a black person or a black family ever moved into a white community, Everyone knew that the housing or the housing market was going to go really bad for them. That their their houses would like lose value because of that. Because no one wanted to live with with, with African Americans. This was even though the, the the laws were passed of for 1964 and 1965. Right then, you also have mass incarceration going up. Right, and so I don't even know what the numbers are anymore. You might know of like the the makeup of our of our prison system in the United States is highly um, racialized. Like, this, let's just say this, the United States prison system makes up 25% of the world's prison system, okay? We make up, what, 10% of the world's population? We hold 25% of the world's inmates just in our country. So that, let's not even talk about race there, that's just how we understand mass incarceration. And we highly like it. Um, I think it's 60% of our inmates are of color. And a large majority of that is African-Americans. And the next part of that is Hispanics. The lowest, I believe, is white men uh, when it comes to, to, to men. So it's black men, Hispanic men, and then, and then white men, right? 
And so that gets into how we do law enforcement and and things of that matter. But there are politicians who have come out saying this is how they operate. They they, they change from saying the N-word and talking about uh, busing. And like this is like during the Nixon um, era. This is what started coming. And they said, you can't use those words more because it's not politically correct. We have to use other things and uh, other terminology. And it was just coded language. So we say that racism is gone. Racism is not just a law. It's not just a policy. It's part of our culture. And if it is part of your culture, let's say from 1619 is whenever slaves were here. We Some people estimate it was actually prior to that, but that's where we have it first recorded um, that African slaves were here in the United States from 1619 all the way to 1964. People were perfectly fine with legal racism and segregation. And if we think Dr. King putting two or getting two laws in there fixes all those centuries of racism, like we're, we're, we're fooling ourselves. So I want to give a quick statistic to with this, when it comes to the racial disparities, I was going to give this earlier, um, but didn't, um, we're talking about, well, Hey, I face these issues and I made it out. Right. Um, what we need to understand nationally, it looks different, though, when it comes to having the, the means to get out of poverty or whatever it is. Right. So um, African-Americans are uh, nationally and in Joplin are disproportionately more under the poverty line than any other ethnicity. So 27 percent of African-Americans are underneath the poverty line. And that's compared to 18 percent of white people. Okay, so if you look at the numbers, the numbers exactly, that'd be more white people because white people make up more of the population. But when it comes to the um, percentages, it's a disparity. And real quick. Yeah, this is a a logic flaw I've seen a lot um, that I bought into at first. I didn't understand. I didn't think it through until it was pointed out, like, there's so many arguments right now. If you say, like, hey, it's dispro- things are disproportionate. More black people are getting pulled over. More black people are going to prison. More black people are in impoverished neighborhoods. Um, and then people come back with statistics to say, no, look, it's way more white people. And what they're not looking at is, is breaking it down. Okay. Uh, uh, yes. And so it's like, well, there are more white people than black people. So, yes, there are more white people that this is happening to. But when you break it down by race, no, it's happening to black people way more often. And the big. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was saying that the big thing when it comes to this, this last statistic is when it comes to wealth, right? Like I think this is the biggest way we need to understand if people moving up and their and their next generation moving up, okay, is how much accumulation of wealth do you have? Everyone wants their children to have more wealth than they had growing up. That's what everyone wants so that their children have a better life than they had because they have the means to it. Right. I'm not even talking about privilege here. I'm just saying this is how we understand like how people move up in life is when you have more wealth. Right. So when it comes to household wealth in 2018, um, the median household income for all people was $63,000. So every ethnicity, every race, Every household, $63,000 was the meat was the median uh, in 2018 for African-Americans in, in 2018. It was $41,000. Okay. So that's almost $20,000 less than everyone else. 
white uh, people are slightly above that 63,000. And then if you even want to get more into Asian Americans are quite a bit above that. But African Americans and Latinos are significantly below that average. And so we just need to, and that comes from what, what, what you were saying, Jerron, of saying, you were denied certain things. You didn't actually have land until, gosh, I don't know, like 1920s is whenever it well, really it, became it's real. It's frustrating like, because when people really want to get stubborn, what I'll see in response to statistics like that is, yep, black people are lazier. You know, that's <laughs> things like was, that. You know? I heard a man, um, one of my favorite preachers, Darius Daniels, he got on Instagram the other day. And he brought up the statistics because people will look at the statistics and use it in favor of their argument. He said, there are two things you have to do with this statistics. Either you land on, you look at those statistics on one side and you're forced to say black people in this case are incapable of raising their children, incapable of making money, um, just incompetent. Or you say there's still some bigger structural things that we've yet to address. And the reason that we keep talking about this is because there are those of us who've seen these statistics and don't believe that black people are just incapable and inferior and do say there's still some bigger issues to address. Therefore, we're still going to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, I mean, the logic there is it's really tough because that myth I mean, you guys can tell me what the biggest myth about African-Americans has been, but the, the, the one I've seen that feels biggest almost is black people are lazy. And then in reading this book on, on racism all the way back to slave days, like that was like, it feels like the number one thing that was said over and over and over after they get out of slavery, where you're thinking like, Dude, who worked hardest for the last 150 years in this country? And, but for some reason, this that myth that caught on where it was saying like black people are late. And it was it's it's just the weirdest. I don't understand where the logic again, comes there's, from. Like, there's it's so a lack odd. of empath- empathy. But there's still people there. that believe this. Totally. And that, that's just a lack of empathy. So lack of sympathy, like of just trying to figure out when, when, when you make your experience the norm you are feeding into a system that doesn't care about your neighbor. You're, you just, you don't have to care because your experience is, I had a friend growing up who was white who um, had, even though he was white and I was of color, I would say I had more privilege than he did. He didn't have a dad growing up, uh, or, or he did, but they were se- his, his parents were separated, so he actually didn't hang out with his dad as much. That's, that's a big problem. Like, if you don't grow up with a dad, and I'm not trying to, like, speak nonchalant about this, but statistically we see that there, that, that causes significant differences in where you're going to end up in life. It doesn't mean that you're going to end up in prison or anything, like that, but it does raise your chances of going to prison, right? It's because you don't have a father figure who can give you, who can authoritatively tell you to stop doing what you're doing. Right. And, and you can look up to, but we immediately want to say, Oh, well, your friend didn't have a dad and you had a dad and, or he grew up in the trailer park and, and you didn't. So therefore, and he made it out and you made it out. So we're all equal here. Right. And it's like, okay, yes, but that is just one person. That's a, that's a, that is an experience just because I grew up privileged. Doesn't mean that everyone that looks like me also did. And it doesn't mean that because, 
um, I made it out and I'm brown that any brown person can make it out. I had certain privileges that not a lot of African Americans have. And I'm mixed too. So like that it's it's just way more complex. And so I forgot this definition of privilege. And I don't want to spend too much time because privilege is such a hot topic and people immediately turn off podcasts when they hear that term. So don't turn it off. <laughs> well, I Those of you who are thinking of leaving, goodbye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't used the term white privilege once. And I don't want to even say white privilege. I know that that, yep. that phrase really is triggering. Everyone know. has privilege. Everyone has privilege. Compare, whoever, if you compare yourself to someone else, there will always be either you're underprivileged or you're overprivileged, depending on who you're comparing yourself to, right? So when we say white privilege, I get why people get upset about that because it's not just about the color of your skin. There's so much more that goes into privilege. But here's the thing. Um, you can know how much privilege you have whenever you face um, struggle or pain or a setback and that you're able to move forward still that you're able to get up and keep moving forward. That's how you, that, like, there, there's definitely personality there and just being able to keep pushing through it. But privilege helps with that too, that you're able to get back up and move forward, right? But if you get knocked down and you don't have the boots to get up, or if you don't have the person that's actually gonna reach their hand out and help you get up, like that's a form of privilege of someone else helping helping you out, then we can't look it down upon that person that got knocked down and say, well, I got up after I got knocked down. Well, you may have had someone that gave you a hand and they didn't. So I don't wanna go into white privilege because I think there's way more complex than just color of skin when it comes to privilege. But. Well, I, th I feel like, I, I personally feel like most of the time that phrase is used, the word defensiveness would be a better word to use most of the time. Sure. So anyway, I gave a lot of stats there and I, and, and we do need to recognize we need to look at those with empathy though, too. Um, stats are, can, are very much a confirmation bias. It's, <laughs> we can find like it, it's what It's a makes. combination <laughs> of like some people yeah. are stats people and some people are stories people yeah. and you really need them both. Yep. You have yeah, to oh, hold totally. them both at the same yeah, time. Stats. I mean, we're seeing it right now with coronavirus of we can, I mean, two people can have these same exact numbers and make two different conclusions, two mm -hmm. very opposite conclusions yeah. based off of what they wanted to say. It's like, mm -hmm. I mean, a stat is completely neutral. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can make a stat say whatever so we wanted to yeah. say. Yeah. And you do, you do need the stats. Like that yeah. is how you tell the fuller truth. But and you that's can't. why the story matters. Yeah, but the story, the story is what, what balances that, what counters it. Yeah. You know. So yeah. question number nine, Matthew, I'll ask you this question and you answer it. Because <laughs> oh, not I'm different be, format. I like it. I'm going to be changing things up. Say I don't have a helpful answer. So, Matthew, this is me saying to you. <laughs> <laughs> hypothetically, this isn't a question I'd actually ask or believe. Um, this is a liberal movement. And I'm conservative. How do I know this isn't all constructed by liberal media, back to the media, to make something out of nothing? Man, the media, man, they're just terrible. <laughs> <laughs> that is what we're saying. The here. way to make world peace is to just, just get, get rid, rid of, of media, all man. mass media. Yes. <laughs> or just PBS. We just, need, we, just need, we just need PBS. That's yeah. all we need. No. Yeah, um, just, yes. Oh, PBS and, and BBC. Thanks. Yes. No, and I hear this question. Um, and I think it is something that we should be aware of. Like, again, like I think all of these questions or these arguments are good because not only are people actually asking them, but 
they're genuine, honestly. Um, and so I think we should ask the question, is our news, at, like, do they have a political bent here? Here is my, um, here's my assertion. Justice does not have a political bent. Justice is not for the liberal cause. Justice is not for the conservative cause. Justice is for justice sake. Okay. Um, there's a really cool story. I know everyone not listening, um, would, would say that they're Christian and that's perfectly fine, but there's a really cool story that I think applies to this, this conversation that you find, um, in the book of Joshua in the old Testament where, um, Joshua is the leader of this army that's about to move into this, this new land. Um, and he meets this, this figure on the road and so it's pretty much a warrior that's on the road in front of him. And he asks this warrior, whose side are you on? Um, are you on my side? Are you on our side? Or are you on the other side, the land that we're about to go into? And the warrior says, I'm on neither side. I'm, I'm, I'm on my side. I'm on God's side with this. Um, and, and so I, I kind of want to take that mentality and apply it to this when it comes to justice. Okay. Justice isn't necessarily for us. If we're for injustice, justice is going to be against us in that moment. Okay. Um, but if we're for justice, justice is going to be all for it because that's what it's for. And so I hate whenever we try to make social justice become a, a political, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? foundation to stand upon that we, that we say, um, well, Republicans are for, um, they're against abortion. So they're for justice when it comes to, you know, babies in the womb. And then Democrats are for, uh, for life out outside of the room all the way to the tomb. Right. And justice is not like that. Justice is for all of that. Okay. And, and if you disagree with either of that, that's perfectly fine, but that's just where, that's where I'm kind of standing on this is that justice doesn't care if you're liberal and justice doesn't care if you're a conservative, it's going to call out injustice. And so I think for us, the question shouldn't be, um, well, is this, this is another way to kind of hypnotize me to get into someone else's agenda. Like, yeah, maybe that's there for some people, but again, we shouldn't, we should be leading with the question. Um, how can I best love my neighbor in this moment? How can I best love my community member? If they're saying they're being treated unjustly, then we should listen to why. And then, and if they truly are being treated unjustly, then we should lead with trying to bring justice to that moment or to, to that person. And I, I just want to say, like, I really love that thought. Um, and, I, you know, obviously love your neighbor has its Christian roots, but I, I feel like it doesn't matter what you believe. You could probably stand behind that phrase. Um, and it's such a beautiful, simplified, non-political way to phrase what we're dealing with here. And the first time you said that to me when we were talking through all these things, you know, when I had the first conversation and like, dude, what do I do? You know, how do I look at all this? And you, you, you phrased it as, you know, well, how can you love your neighbor better? Um, and I, I really don't see anybody phrasing it like that. Everybody's phrasing it in very politically charged ways, not everybody, but, but frequently, which then causes the other political side to get really defensive. And then we don't, we don't accomplish what we could together. 
Yeah. You know. Who is it that um I heard recently Matt correct me on this um because I'm gonna butcher mm-hmm. this genius quote that um love or justice is love lived out in public. Mm-hmm. Cornell some, West. Corn is that what he Dr. Cornell West. Yeah. yeah justice yeah. is love lived out in public. Um one of the things I being a Christian, um and a preacher and a pastor that I'd love for specifically the church, but I think humanity as a whole is for us to assume responsibility to take back our, our obligation to love our neighbor out in public. And when I say take it back, I mean, take it back from a polarized media political uh, 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 spectrum and say, no, I'm not going to let them hijack justice by make by by separating out issues. So when we talk about abortion, then I'm on the right side. When we talk about racism, I'm on the left side. It's like, no, we, let's take back our obligation to do justice and say, no, we're going to fight for both. Yeah. I'm not playing their game that says you got to do either or. No, as for the Christians, we're playing Jesus's game. Yeah. And for humanity, we're playing the human game of we're going to do right by all people. Yep. So it's like, I mean, it doesn't have to be a liberal thing if you don't want it to be. Take yep. it back. Take it from it's, the liberals. It's justice. Exactly. And that's, that's why like, I, I, within, our, within our world of, of the church, social justice has such a nasty sound to it for so many people. Makes no, I, I understand why, but to me, it's like, okay, it's just two words and they make perfect. Like you're not, you have no problem with social. You have no problem with justice. Why do you have a problem with that phrase? And I get the history of it and I'm not going to go into it, but it's like, no, like, why can't we be for that? You know, um, here, here's my, I'll finish with this. Um, I, I despise how people are who who play into political identity like that that's all they do is that they're just republican um and not despise people that do that but despise when people do that if a if a if a if the republican party can literally um fit all of your mindset into it like I think I think there's a problem there because it, it's taken away some of your humanity. It's no longer a human worldview. It's now a political worldview. Same thing on the other side. If the Democratic Party can fit everything that you are for and against just perfectly, right? Like they are for the right things and they're against the right things and therefore you're a full-on Democrat. I think there's a there's some problems with your mindset. Cause we're just so much more complex than that. And maybe, maybe I'm biased there. Cause I just, I, I can't find myself fitting into Republican and Democrat. Like it's just so hard for me to do that. I think I lean one way. I think I, I think I lean more towards Republican, but honestly, I have some big problems with it. Um, and so I think we just, that's why justice is not a political party or, or one political party doesn't, doesn't hold it exactly. Um, it is something that all humanity can do no matter what your faith tradition or political background is or whatever it is. Um, so. Well, and to, to jump in on that really quick for, for our specific listeners that have been following the toad. So, you know, when, when the group I'm with, when we started the Joplin toad, I said at the beginning, like, we are not doing politics. There's enough of that out there. <laughs> you know, we're not going there. Um, this is, you know, an online magazine and podcast and all these other things that we are 
here for the people of, of Joplin, Missouri. We're here to um, bring more beauty to this town. We're here to highlight the beauty that's already in this town. We're here um, to show how much incredible creativity is here. We're here to be quirky and fun and make you laugh and all these things. But then, but then 2020 happened. <laughs> and suddenly we have, there's many issues, but we have two specific issues right now you know, with, with the COVID response and the racism response. Um, and I know that people, and I'm talking to you people that are still, if you're still listening and still wondering, like, why is the toad doing this? Cause you said you weren't going to do this. <laughs> you said you weren't going to get political. Um, and I, I personally, and, and I, you know, speaking for the toad, these are things that to me, um, are beyond politics and these are things to me that should not be political. They are just human issues. You know, one is a safety issue and one is an empathy issue. Um, and therefore, I refuse to politicize it and I refuse to acknowledge it as a political issue. Um, and that's why we're talking about it, because I still stand by the we're not going to get political, you know. Um, the toad is not Republican or Democratic, <laughs> you know. I've personally, <laughs> off, off, off comment, and I might be wrong for this, but when I've been in conversations like this, and because I've been in conversations like this, and someone has said, "Well, the left," or "Well, the right," as soon as that comment comes in, it's like, "Well, we're done." Have you? We're done. As soon as this jumps to the poli- it's like it we're done. Doesn't need we're done to. Here. It shouldn't have to. It's a community issue, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And for live, Joplin specifically, exactly. We're talking about this because it affects Joplin. I understand it is a national and over politicized and sometimes badly represented by the media issue, but it does affect Joplin. And you guys being in this room and talking about your experiences proves that. And the toad is for Joplin, and that's why we're talking about it. And the, the mask issue is also about Joplin and that's why we've been talking about that, you know? And so, um, that's, yeah, that's my quick aside <laughs> for, for people that are wondering why we went here and are we now going to become some liberal political organization? Like, no, you know, mostly it's still going to be like satire and art, like, <laughs> like I, I, but, but sometimes we're going to get serious. No, you know? you're going liberal and you either die a hero <laughs> or live long enough to become a villain. I mean, that's just, and you're becoming the villain. The time's going on too long. <laughs> oh man, we should just end right there on the laughing quote. Like, <laughs> and I think, I think, Sometimes part of my goal, maybe this is just, this is just a personal thing. Um, maybe it's not a good thing. I don't know, but um, I try to step on toes when it comes to politics on both sides. Mm. And if you can do that, if fairly, I can make the I really right, ups- that. if I can make do. the right upset with some of the things I say, um, I'm and at the same time make the left upset with some of the things I say, I am perfectly fine with that because again, it's not. I think both sides have shortcomings that we have to call out, and so. When I do start talking about my side of, of seeing humanity, seeing as something that it is before birth, that it takes place in the womb, that may step on the left's toes. And that's I'm not saying that you're immediately wrong and I wanna, I want to have a conversation about it, but I hope it does t- like step on your toes. And whenever I do start talking about social justice or immigration reform or stuff like that, I do know that it touches on the right's toes. And I think we had to be okay with that instead of wanting yeah. to like be perfectly fine with yeah. the other side. Yeah. And I, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. Like if we can't, 
use logic enough to <laughs> move past where the political lines are drawn, then we have a problem, you know? And then again, from my, you know, religious standpoint, like Jesus was not part of any political party, you know, neither was Gandhi or anybody else, you know, <laughs> any other famous figure you want to name. Um, and I, I do apologize for our listeners for our, our uh, lack of religious diversity, I guess. But sure, <laughs> sure. Today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I hope that the, the things we're talking about, like, I, it doesn't matter what you're religious, you know, or even if you're atheist or whatever, like, hey, this is hitting on something we all care about. So let's do the, let's do this last question. Um, Nine down, one to go. One to go. <laughs> so this is big. Uh, the removal of Southern heritage monuments is offensive to me. Why should we remove history to make certain people happy? And if we start removing these monuments, where does it end? Where, where does it end? Where do we draw the And you line? can take that as far as you want, because the where does it end and the this is a slippery slope yeah. lines of logic, seeing those applied everywhere. It's not just to this issue. Which is a fallacy. Anyway, <laughs> I think it'd be fair. Well, I, I had a friend that actually he's, he he mentioned that, and then he responded somewhere. <laughs> Everything ends somewhere. Yeah. Like you can't. Like that logic doesn't always work. We can you know? draw lines. Yeah. Like we can say, I want to do this, and then say, not that. Not though. Yeah. Um, do you want to answer this? I'd say yeah. I think it is fair to 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 say um, and to acknowledge that this is a part of someone's sense of self. Say the Confederate flag is a part, is a part of someone's core sense of self. And seeing um, a call for the complete removal of it is a threat, a perceived threat to their identity. So we will say that. of like There are people out there who it's like, oh, there, you do have, this is a sweet memory to you and your family. We see it. Let's say that. On the other... One more. Let's also say that, and I'll say as a black man, not going to say all of us, but me and some people I know, we've seen um, certain monuments be taken down and certain things be reversed, things be done that we didn't ask for and that we're not asking for. So going to say that. I mean, I mean there point. are times where I'll say too, okay, yeah, like that's, Dumb. That is too far. We didn't ask for that. <laughs> yeah. Like no one wanted that. Um, yeah. This is not what we wanted. But then, I mean, to actually talk about the real thing, I, I wouldn't say this is a removal of history as much as it is looking at it in a better view, in a better light. So when there's a monument of a man or there's a building named after a man, who very openly advocated for racism and the dehumanization of humans, we don't want to reward him and give him this beautiful statue that says, hey, look at you, claps to you. Well, I, I think you do have to define what is the purpose of monuments? What is the purpose of statues? Um, and I, I think a lot of people are afraid of removing history. And I'm going to say that's a, it's a valid fear, you know, um, authoritarian regimes. That's, that's one of the read like 1984. Uh, like that's a way to get power is to rewrite history. 
And that I'd is a dangerous thing to do. But I, I don't think these monuments and these statues are just there for the history. That's not why they were put there. I'd, I'd, I, I grew up in Oklahoma. Oklahoma history is a required course for every Oklahoma high school student. Not a single person in Oklahoma who's gone through Oklahoma history was taught about the Tulsa race riots. Not in our books. See, that, that was crazy. Like, I hadn't heard about that before this year. Most people hadn't heard about it, which is crazy. So you're talking about erasing history? I think erasing history is is it has already been happening, and it's been happening in the form of selective education. I don't think removing a statue is... We all know what happened. Like, I mean, we know what happened. I mean, you, you, you changed the name... Whether you agree with it or not, I still don't know what I think about it. The University of Kentucky changed, is changing. There are some people who are calling for them to rename their arena and not call it Rupp Arena anymore because of what the man did in his life. If they change the name of that arena, I don't think we will all forget what happened in America. I just don't know. I, I want to understand a question that I'd ask is, what do you mean by erasing history? And what are you afraid of being erased with the removal of the statue? I'm not understanding that. And then, yeah, I mean, I, I have two thoughts um, on that. One, um, the best response to that I've seen is, let's look at Germany for a second. Um out of all the countries in the world that did some really sucky things in the last century, Germany's kind of at the top of the list. Um, what is Germany's response to those things now? Um, there's no statues of Nazis in Germany, you know, not that I know of. Um, that's not really a thing, you know, and I'm sure that there are people with deep Nazi heritage, you know, um, or however you want to call it, but they're not looking at it like, you know, oh, my heritage. It's like, oh, that's the sucky thing we did. And they're not denying that it happened. Um, what do they do? They, they put this stuff in museums. You know, Auschwitz is a place you can go tour. They're not ignoring it. They're not pretending it didn't happen. You know, um, they're acknowledging it. They're saying, here's where we've learned from this. Here's how we're different now. Here's how we're never going to do that again. Um, and so... They're not removing the history. It's right there in your face. Um, but they're also not honoring the negative parts of that history. And that's the big thing is monuments inherently, depending on what it's actually memorializing, has a celebratory uh, bent. Okay. Um, if you were to come onto OCC's campus, Ozark Christian College's campus, you're going to see two monuments. Okay, one I'm looking at right now is outside of the library, and one is next to the cafeteria. Um, and they celebrate certain things that we hold to. It's not just history; it like literally celebrates it. That's what we want to become. It's called being. It's it's a cultural artifact. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, is it how you remember stuff? Yeah, but it also tells you who you are. Like that's the type of that's the mentality of monument. It tells you who you are, or what you want to become, or maturity, whatever it is. 
Yeah, it's an so, identity piece yes, totally. you know, for your culture. So this is my, so I monument thing is very touching. I have I have changed my thoughts on it so much. I used to be take down every monument that, that glorified civil or uh, the Civil War um, leaders of the South uh, to where I'm like I have no idea. To I've kind of landed on this. If we are really about monuments being about remembering our history then let's go all the way, okay? Um, you mentioned the Tulsa race, which now they're calling it the massacre. It's not a, it's not a riot, actually. Like, they're literally changing it in textbooks, and, and Tulsa yeah, is changing it. because it wasn't a riot. Not it's not a history riot. textbooks. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Whoever was there. Yes, yes, they're adding it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're calling it the Tulsa race massacre, because that's what it was. But anyway, um, let's go all the way, right? Um, how about... If we actually want to remember our history, what would, what would it look like to have um, monuments showing who was lynched in that city? Um, and, I, and I say that uh, specific example because people are actually doing this. So Brian Stevenson is someone that is a great man that you need to follow if you don't know who he is. He's a lawyer. Uh, the movie Just Mercy that has Jamie Foxx in it and um, why I'm blanking on his name. Killmonger from, Michael, yes, Michael yes, 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 right, right, right. um, that this just came out talking about the life and kind of like a little bit, um, biographic on, um, Brian Stevenson and how he fights for civil rights. Um, but he has an organization called the equal justice, equal justice initiative. And if you were to go to Mount Montgomery, Alabama, you're going to go to this, uh, Memorial for peace and justice. I actually had the chance to go go to this, um, but pretty much it is this big square where you can walk around it and you'll descend as you're walking around it. Um, and there are these pillars about five feet tall and it lists all the names of the people who were lynched in a certain county um, around the country. Wow. Um, and when you leave that monument, you go outside and they have duplicates of those monuments. And the idea is that those the counties will come and grab those duplicates and take it back and put it up to remember that history. And so his whole thing is, okay, if you want monuments to remember your history, then let's remember all of it. Not just Robert <laughs> E. Lee being on a horse and having a sword out, right? Yeah. It's not. That's a little more uncomfortable. It's way more uncomfortable. But here's the thing. That's that's more uncomfortable for the white people. And, and I think part of the, the struggle is, and then again, that, that I've had to even stop and think like, oh, how does this monument make a black person feel as opposed to how it makes a white person I was feel? Say, one of the things I was thinking is even when we do like memorialize things, I mean, in Oklahoma City. And all this, all this applies to the flag too, the yeah, Confederate flag. You know, we, we have a memorial for everyone killed in the OKC bombings. We don't have a statue of Timothy McVeigh. We in the, in in uh, we have a statue. We have a Ground Zero memorial. We don't have a statue of some of a um, extremist. You know, it's like no. When we remember history, it's remembering the bad thing. It's but it's not honoring, not glorifying, or glorifying yeah, yeah. the person who. So yep, I yep. don't know, and so that's why I wrestle. And so I think my my answer to those who are like, oh. I, this is taking away history. 
I want to say, well, we've taken away certain history already and you're just fine because it doesn't make you uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable that people in Oklahoma don't realize something that I knew growing up in Indiana about the race massacre, right? I learned about it in college. Yeah, it's just like... <laughs> mm -hmm. I learned it about it a month ago. Yeah. So how about we actually put up monuments that actually show us who we are, right? Where we have been. Okay. So, and, and, and again, this is Joplin. There is a man, Thomas Gilliard, who was lynched here in Joplin, Missouri, second and wall, right? You go to second and wall, you are going to be at the corner and you can see this is where a man was taken out of a Joplin cell and was lynched there. We don't remember that though, because we don't want to remember that. That makes them, that, 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 that's, it's how we do with everything. We don't want people to know our shortcomings. We put them underneath the rug and we hope that it just goes away. We somehow the air would take it away, right? No, like this is just a part of who we are. And so if you really want monuments to remember your history, have everything then to remember your history. If you don't want that, then stop getting mad when we call out other monuments that make us feel uncomfortable, right? So I think that's my thing is, that's a really cool point. Like, I don't, it's, I don't know that I've heard that. There's a double standard that answer and we can't be okay with that is if you want to remember history, go all the way. If you want to eliminate history or not even eliminate history, but if you want, if you want, if you are fearful of glorifying the wrong people in history because of monuments, then put them in a museum. Museums don't glorify things unless they are legitimately well, trying to glorify. That's things. been my thought is like, well, you don't have to destroy them, yeah. you know, and, and the, the act of, you know, a crowd toppling a statue into the river. It's frustrating. Probably not the best way to go about not it. Helping. <laughs> not, not helping. Not helping. <laughs> Completely yeah. agree. Um, but like to, to have a process where you go through and figure out what to do and just re figure out a different place for it that is a more um, sensitive setting, I guess. Um, but quick a, a, a quick shout out, a, a toad shout out. We have a, if you go a couple features back on our website, we've got a music video, um, not a, no, I'm sorry, a, a song um, by local band Blister Soul. And they sang a song about, it's called Second and Wall. And it's about that one. And they actually wrote that song a year ago before any of this came about, which is really cool. Um, and so that's, that's, that's something that would be cool for people to listen to. But, um, I, I will say this, um, this is something I need to do my ancestry.com research, but, um, in my family history, I'm actually related to Stonewall Jackson and Andrew Jackson, <laughs> uh, which is, it, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish you could see these guys faces. <laughs> it's just a, it's, it's a beautiful moment. <laughs> They both just backed away wow. a little bit. That's wow. crazy, man. <laughs> wow. Well, it is crazy. And so I say that just to lend, I hope, a little bit of validity to the of me saying, like, I am related, unless my family's been lying to me this whole time. <laughs> but my great grandmother's maiden name was Jackson. Um, I'm related to people whose statues are being taken down right now. And I support those statues being taken down now. And, and, you know, I had a, had a friend say this, like, can I say like, Hey, Stonewall Jackson was a really cool military leader. You know, he was good at what he did. Like, you know, I'm not going to say that dude was all bad, you know, 
But am I going to say like, should the thing that the guy was fighting for be memorialized? Probably not, you know? And so I think, I mean, what all of this takes is just try and it's really, really hard right now, but just trying to have balanced thinking, you know, cause I could have multiple responses to that information. I could say, this is my relative. This is my heritage. I'm proud of my family heritage. How dare you take that statue down? That's one response I could have. Another one could be to never tell anyone I'm related to the guy, <laughs> which would be probably the easiest response. Um, and to be ashamed of it. And, and instead, like my, my response is just, it's neither of those things. You know, I am proud in some ways and ashamed at others kind of, but I also recognize like none of this is really me anyway, you know? So I don't have a lot of personal feeling about it because what that relative did good and bad has very little to do with me and my decisions. And so I don't need to be so defensive about it. You know, um, I can just look at it pretty factually you know, and I, I understand it's tough and some people are a lot more nostalgic about that heritage and it, and it runs really deep for them. You know, I don't have that like deep Southern heritage built in me that I know goes really strong. So I know it's a hard thing. But my last question for you guys, though, after that tangent is um, and the hilarious faces you made. With that <laughs> That's crazy. Man. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Almost went to a junior high named after him, after Stonewall. So. <laughs> well, I just looked it up like they just took down a you know statue of him in Richmond. Um, but um, yeah, I, my my last question for you on that topic is what do you do with the 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 historic figures that we have statues for like Christopher Columbus is one of them because we've gotten to a point where, where the black lives matter movement is looking at anyone that ever owned a slave that we have a statue of and saying, tear it down. What do you guys think about that? I'm not Cause, for Cause it. there's some figures that are, ah, they did, they are founding fathers. They did, you know, do some amazing things for our freedom. They also own slaves and that sucks. You know, you look at guys like Thomas Jefferson, like, Good and bad there. What do you do with the statue of him? And that's where I differ from Black Lives Matter. I There's a guy that I follow on Facebook and Twitter who said, down with it all. Um, everything depicting in some form or fashion white superiority needs to be eliminated all the way to pictures of Jesus being white um, like artwork depicting Jesus as white needs to be destroyed. And Which just, it is almost comical, the white depiction of yeah. Jesus when you realize sure, yeah. like, when he's not he white. Did yeah, not exactly. look like that guy's. Yeah. Like. <laughs> but I'm just not for it. And I, I haven't thought, my, I haven't thought my thoughts out too much uh, when it comes to this. Um, but when you think of, when you think of Thomas Jefferson, Yes, you should think of him, whatever you want to accuse him of. He's been accused of, what, raping black women, you know, slaves and has descendants um, who are African-American. And how did that happen? Um, and he believed that African Africans and African-Americans were literally, de like, not, they were subhuman. They were not human. Wow. 
while at the same time, while at the same time waffling back and forth and, and I went acting to like he was defe- he was trying to abolish slavery. Yeah, my, yeah very crazy, weird. right? There's stuff about the indep- or the de- de- Declaration of Independence that goes into that of how he could have done actually something else with the wording um, that would have actually been even more. Uh, against Africans, but he didn't. And so here is my thing. Um, and this is kind of just my concluding thoughts on this whole thing, I guess. Oh, People are more complex than what we want them to be. Mm-hmm. The issue that Black Lives Matter is bringing up is that we completely glorify everything these historical figures have done, and we do not bring up their sins, their failures, whatever you want to call it. That's that's a problem. This happens in the church as well. We don't talk about how they have messed up, and we need to talk about that. We need to do this. I do this with Martin Luther King Jr. now. Like I talk about his shortcomings when it comes to um, him cheating on his wife. Now, if you don't know that, sorry, not, it's some mystery, right? <laughs> yeah, um, just pop that bubble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, I had someone bring that up the other day. And I was like, oh crap, I didn't know that. You know, then, I didn't want to know that. And we should we should recognize that and also still say, but look what he did though for the country. We can say that for a Thomas Jefferson, for a George Washington, for an Alexander Hamilton, shout out to Hamilton, whatever, the, <laughs> the show uh, or the, the, the play. Um, so here's my thoughts when it comes to the monuments. People are more complex than what we want them to be. And we cannot live with this either or mentality, either every monument's destroyed and thrown into the fire or they all stay up. No, some of them need to be put in a museum. Um, some of them need to be questioned why they were even made. Right. Um, and well, cause there is, there is a historical, there's yeah. evidence to back up. Some of these statues were put in place to intimidate, oh, totally. not to celebrate. And some probably and, not all. Yeah. You know. And some should be left up because it is something that we should remember in our public. Like I believe history shouldn't just be in a museum. History should be out in, in public. Um, and so some of them need to be left up and same thing with everything else that we deal with. Um, it can't be all, either everyone's racist or everyone's not racist. No, some people can be racist and some cannot be racist. So that's my concluding thoughts on all this. Yeah, I'd say the same thing. Um, one, humans are way too complex to be either or. I think it's both ands. A preacher I like, Brian Lurie, he says humans are yeah, buts. Like he was bad, <laughs> yeah, but he was pretty all right. Or he was all right, yeah, but. So I'd say that. Um and being consistent, I mean, if I am really happy to see a statue of Dr. King, who was a yeah, but great man, <laughs> yeah, but he cheated on his wife. Um, and I'm happy to see that statue, then I need to be okay with statues of the Thomas Jefferson, of he probably definitely raped a lot of black women. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, but he did a lot for this country. Um, so I think to be consistent, if we're going to have monuments of people, we've got to be okay with the yeah, buts. um, in my perfect world, it'd be a lot easier if we just never did it for anybody, then we wouldn't have to try to decipher who or who right. not. But I, well, and that's what we're in this very tricky spot right now yeah, where yeah. we're looking at, I mean, I, I just listened to a story yesterday about them trying to take down, talking about taking down a Robert E. Lee statue that is four stories tall. <laughs> They're just talking about the logistics, the machinery from out of state that they have to bring in just to even be able to take this Who thing down. Who put that up? Right. That's it's a like, lot of work. Yeah. And so like 
it is complicated and it is hard to deal with decisions that have already been made that have resulted in four story statues. (laughs) It's not simple. (laughs) So, uh, gentlemen, thank you very, very much. Um, for, for all your thoughts and your time. Um, I really appreciate it. I think this was some really good stuff. I hope a ton of people listen to this and, um, and I hope it helps people understand and think and, and even kind of let go of some anger and some frustration toward those aspects of all this that, that, you know, have been presented wrongly. So I thoroughly enjoyed this. This is a lot of fun and, and good for me just thinking through my thoughts too. So yeah. Awesome. Thank you. All right. We will talk to you all later. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to make a comment or ask a question of Mark, Jerron, or Matthew, you can send that to joplintoad at gmail.com. That's joplintoad at gmail.com. If we get enough comments and new thoughts, we might even do an episode three on the topic. This podcast is brought to you by the Joplin Toad, an online arts and humor magazine that loves the city of Joplin, Missouri. Give us a follow by searching for the Joplin Toad on your favorite social media platform. And would you do us a favor? If you enjoyed this, will you give us a quick rating on Apple Podcasts? Without your good ratings, we're like wilting flowers with no water. Don't let us wilt. This episode was hosted by Mark Neinschwander, produced and edited by Jeremiah Jones, and introduced by me, Fitherton Cramsworth Esquire. The song you heard was by Joplin band Blister Soul. Check them out on Instagram and check out our second and wall post on joplintoad.com to hear the full song. Later, Toads. <laughs>